Um, welcome everyone, and thanks for joining us. Uh, my name is Michael Fraud. I'm the Assistant Program Director at Drisha, and I'm very happy to have everyone back here for our last session in our series, Quandaries of Quarantine, uh, in Biblical, Talmudic, and Hasidic Literature with Ravneet Leah Sarna. Ravneet Sarna is our Associate Director of Education as well as the Director of High School Programs at Drisha. She was ordained by Yeshivat Mahara and has previously served as the Director of Religious Engagement at Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Con Congregation in Chicago. This class has been focusing on the different forms that solitude takes in Jewish tradition, the positive portrayals, the negative portrayals, the ambiguous portrayals that we have of it. We have so far focused on different passages from Tanakh and from rabbinic literature in the Mishnah and the Talmud. Uh, we are going to be spending a bit of time today looking at some Hasidic sources from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Uh, so we're very excited to uh, wrap up this series together and to keep thinking through the different ways in which the presentations of solitude that we see in our tradition can help inform our own experiences of solitude in retrospect and going forward as we navigate COVID and other personal situations that might cause us to, to grapple with some of those questions. We always appreciate it if people are able to keep their videos on so that we can look around, see the faces of the folks who are in the room with us. Of course, if, uh, if for some reason that is not so feasible, we completely understand that people sometimes need to, to keep their videos off. We do ask that people also just be careful to keep themselves on mute when possible and to remute yourself after you chime in with a question so we can avoid any background noise or distractions. Uh, if you have questions, there will be Q&A sessions throughout. We can also make use of the chat or the comment section. If you're following us on Facebook Live, feel free to write your questions and comments in there. And if you're on Facebook Live, I'll make sure that those get relayed to Revenant Sarna. Um, and I will be sharing a copy of the source sheet in the chat and on Facebook Live, although I believe we'll also be doing a screen share for most of the relevant portions of the session. If you have any tech questions, audio issues, things like that, please feel free to send me a direct message. Uh, but other than that, I'm going to turn it over to Revenue Sarna for our learning. Uh, hi, everyone. Great to see everyone back here for our last session. Let me put you on the gallery view so I can actually see people. Um, hello. Um, really great to see you. It's, um, it's pouring here. My window is open. So if you start to hear the rain, just let me know and I'll close the window, but I'm actually like enjoying the nice air that's coming in. So you'll <laughs> just let me know if that's starting to if that's starting to bother you on your end. Uh, so as um as Michael very um summarized very well, we started off talking about in our first session, we focused on these two main models of Tsara'at, sometimes translated as leprosy, and Milim, the inauguration of the priests. And we talked about how Quarantine can kind of take these many different feelings to it. So with leprosy, you the leper poses the danger, um, and the danger and the reason why you're in quarantine is because you pose danger from other people. So the mulim, um, the danger is kind of outside. The danger is if you break the rules, if you do something that you're not exactly supposed to do, and for that you're in quarantine to protect you from the dangers of the world. So those two kind of basic different impulses of where does danger lie um, in those two situations? And then in the second session, we looked at this kind of a, a third model that gets brought up also at the beginning of Yoma, which is the, the Sinai model. Oh, sorry, we also talked about the, the, um, the piece that comes out of Miluin, which is the, um, that the priest has to quarantine in advance of the red heifer ritual. And that we actually don't really see inside the Torah, but the Mishnah reads that in. Um, okay, and then in, in session number two, we talked about this like Sinai model that gets emulated by Elijah and then by Rishon Bar Yochai. Happy Lag Omer, everyone. Um, so glad we're here. Um, and um, in that model of, um, 
of just like purity, purity, purity. And you have to run, you can't be around other people because they are not as, right? They're not as zealous as you are if you're Elijah or they don't hold your opinions about Rome and they don't keep halacha well enough if you're Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai or, um, or his son Rabbi Lazar. Um, and then last week we took a we took a kind of Talmud only approach, but based on um, based on a verse from Eicha, which is Yishev Adavi Dom, he sits alone and is silent. And we saw different reads of that. So we saw the um, we saw the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, kind of starting to reflect on how that where is God in that mixture. And we saw Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer. Uh, we had some good conversation about. Our way of understanding that period, Rabbi Eliezer, where we saw um, the father leaves the son to go to the um, to go to the marketplace. The father comes back and finds that his son was learning Torah. Um, so was that we we had we had a good conversation about like what you know where is what is God in that in that metaphor? Is that is God or parable? Um, is God abandoning us or is God just God busy? God has to do stuff and like you know good for the kid who's learning Torah um, and. Um, but, but what does it mean then that, that the kid was learning Torah without, or that we are learning Torah then without God present in that solitary learning? Um, so we saw that as kind of one model that maybe learn, learning in solitude is problematic versus then we saw Rav Anan who was learning in solitude in order to, to, to kind of cut back into that purity model of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who notably didn't learn alone, he learned with his son has chavruta, um, but, um, but Elijah then can come to Ravanah because he has achieved that level of purity. But at the same time, learning alone means that Ravanah can't, first of all, it's, it's almost like a punishment for him. Um, and second of all, is uh, means he can't like continue his work of, of judging, of being a Dayan. So there is almost like a, a back to that punitive question about Tarat, that gets tied, that got tied back in um, with Rabbanan. So today we're going to be taking like a very different track um, and we're going to be looking at uh, Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. So we have, you know, if like the Talmud is maybe around the year 500-ish of the Common Era, Rabbi Nachman of Breslau was born in 1772. So we've really jumped, you know, 1200 years we've, um, uh, through through Jewish history that we did, of course, see Maimonides last time. We've seen some other kind of people in between. We haven't completely skipped all the medievals, but we are <laughs> um, we a little bit skipped the Middle Ages here. Um, and Rabbi Nachman of Breslau was a very, I mean, I imagine most of you all here are listening are familiar with Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. He lived, um, he, he traveled around a little bit. He's known for Breslau, but actually is buried in Uman. That's what's confusing. He's like, oh, the Breslauers, they go to Uman. Like, People don't think about how confusing that is, but those are different places. Um, and so when they were in Breslau, um, they kind of decided, oh, the name of this town is going to live on forever. Um, it, we're going to be Breslau Hasidim, but then they ended up moving to Uman, which is where Nachman is buried. Um, anyways, Nachman lived a short and sad life. He died at the age of 38 of tuberculosis. He lost almost all of his children died. At least one of his wives died. Um, he not a polygamist, like in order wives, um, and um, and just like a very very hard. Oh, he was he was also like quite depressed and and sad a lot of the time. And his writings about sadness um, are part of what I mean. Breslau Hasidim. You said, oh, the the originator, the founder of Breslau Hasidim was very sad. Um, first, you'd be like, what do you mean? They're like the people jumping around, blasting music from the rooftops. But but maybe knowing that actually helps make sense of it because then he was very focused on pursuit of happiness. And the people who um, the people who focus on the pursuit of happiness are perhaps the people who are the least, least happy themselves. So it kind of fits together once you know all the pieces. But um, but that's an interesting thing about Rabbi Nachman he was not like a one-off, like, oh, he one time said something interesting about that. I mean, Ahlan was perpetually talking about he it's woven through all of his works. Sometimes people say that the most impactful uh, rabbis are people who have kind of very few messages that they just keep hammering every single time. Um, a, a teacher, um, a, a, a very beloved uh, teacher of Tanakh in Israel named Alex Israel um, wrote on Facebook recently that, you know, like, 
oh, Rav Lichtenstein was always talking about how you just need to learn Torah. Like, oh, this holiday's coming up? This holiday's about Torah. This holiday's coming up? This holiday's about Torah too. Um, and that, that some of the most impactful rabbis that kind of have like one main message and then their students leave the yeshiva and they walk away with that one main message. Um, and um, so Rabbi Nachman of Breslau, he voted you. It was really one of his main messages. And we're going to look at how he Right, so, so he voted you is, we'll, we'll talk about exactly what it is, but it's this, it's a, a, an affirmative practice of solitude um, and solitude and meditation and solitude. And there's other pieces that um, we'll only, meaning we're not gonna look at the entire corpus of everything written by Rabbi Nachman today. Um, so we're just gonna be scratching the surface, but these are some parts that I think are, are helpful in terms of understanding what the project is, how it makes sense. Um, and hopefully then we'll be able to a little bit put it into conversation with some of the other questions we've been raising about um, quarantine and about this time that we've all been living through um, and whether there's a way to kind of make sense of it all together um, or not. Um, as, as we've said, it's been a very confusing time and I don't know that there's like uh, a silver bullet of a text that's gonna kind of illuminate all of it for us. But I do hope that some of the diversity of these texts mean that we can say, you know, like we're not the first people in history who've ever done this. And we can at least find, if we can't find uplift, then at least we can find connection um, in learning some of these texts that might be um, reflective on this time that we've all been living through. Um, but I think one of the things that for me feels exciting about Runachan is the possibility of saying, you know, we have a couple, potentially a couple more months of this. Is there another, you know, at the beginning we were all kind of baking bread, then we were all like knitting or whatever, like maybe in these last couple of months our project can be, here is a person who thought, you know, like if you can't find a time to be by yourself, then like pretend that you're learning in yeshiva and then I don't think I actually brought you this part. He has the part where he says, um, you know, like if you can't find a time to be alone, then like put a sefer open in front of you in yeshiva and like do he to do there and no one will bother you because they'll think you're learning. <laughs> so in some ways, Rinachman um, would have been maybe very jealous of our times um, because he was in this pursuit of solitude um, in a way that um, is going to, I think, feel like really strange and jarring for many of us given what we've all been through and how ready many people are, though not everyone, um, is to kind of get back to get back to a little bit more normalcy. So just a little bit of introduction to Rabbi Nachman's works. As I mentioned, he died very young, died at the age of 38. Um, he had a student named Rabbi Nassan of Nemirov, who was his like main student, but then also the author of, and, and whatever, the person who made the books happen. So the first Likute Maharan part one was written in, in Riyakhan's lifetime. We're going to see some from part one. Part two came out posthumously and is kind of more obviously written by Ravnasan. Uh, we're going to also look at Sikhos Haran, which are, um, which was also their, their recordings of teachings of Rabbi Nachman by Ravnasan. So um, kind of has like a, uh, I don't know, like a like a mouthpiece for um, for his writing, and um, and and Ramadan was it, but but that's how meaning not he was so. Also, I should mention a little bit about who he was in addition to that. He was the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. He amassed followers in his lifetime, but because of Rabnasan, the people say, like, was his first cousin, it was like his first follower. And so they were kind of always like a team together. Um, and and Rabnasan is responsible for, for a lot of like what we know today of Breslov and for, and for Rabbi Nachman's teachings, really, um, really living on. All right, so with that introduction, I'm going to share my screen. And Michael has put the source sheet into the chat. Thank you. All right, so we're starting out in Kutay Maharan 1, um, and this is Torah 52. That's what these numbers are. It's like Torah 52, part 1. Um, okay, so um, he's going to quote a Mishnah, Rabbi Chanina ben Chakinai Omer. Hande or Balaila, the Hamahalish, but there she should be the Fanelli Bola Vatala, Hariza Mitchayev Benafsho. A someone who's awake at night and who goes his way alone and makes room in his heart for empty thoughts, he is liable for his own soul. So that makes it think liable Mitchayev Benafsho does not seem like a good thing. Mitchayev Benafsho makes it seem like. You and, 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 like if, if you're reading Rabbi Chanina Ben Chachinai's statement, you would think 
all of these things are bad. You should never walk a path alone. You should not be awake at night. And you should not make space in your, you should not be mifanel yibola, that's why. You should not make room in your heart for empty thoughts. All of those things are bad. Um, Rabbi Nachman, you'll be unsurprised to hear, is going to flip this on his head. Um, and, but through that teaching and through that flipping, hopefully what he'll do is kind of explain what the point of Hebrew is in a way that I think is, is, is surprising, maybe. I think for us, like, meditation is just so part of the, like, culture that we sort of just are like, okay, Hebrew meditation, it's all the same. But Rabbi Nachman really has a quite your agenda about like what he put to do this for um and and here i think is is where he lays that out pretty well so he he says there are heretics who say that the world is a necessary reality we'll get to what that means in a second and according to their evil wrong erroneous opinions and there, based on that opinion, it seems to them that they have proofs and examples from the way the world functions. Um, so, that, okay, well, let's finish the paragraph and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what this might mean. But all of that is... Um, that all that is nonsense because the truth is that the world and all it contains are a contingent reality. So what are they contingent on? He's going to explain in a second that they are contingent on God, meaning the world does not necessarily exist. From You can't learn anything out from the fact that the world exists. That actually doesn't teach you anything. The world only exists because God said to exist. And if heretics are people who say, oh, we know the world must necessarily exist and therefore we can learn kind of other logical things from the fact that the world like necessarily exists. Um, and he would say, no, that's all nonsense and that can't be the foundation for anything because that statement is wrong. The world is contingent. What is the world contingent on? Only the Holy One necessarily exists. But all, every planet and everything that is on it, that is all contingent. Because God created them something out of nothing. And God's capability was to create the world or to not create the world. And therefore, the world and all it contains are contingent realities. They're contingent on God's decision to have them exist. The only thing that is necessary, the only thing that certainly exists, you cannot imagine anything without this, is God. Um, okay, but he's curious about the mistake. Where do they get this crazy idea that the world is a necessary reality? No, it stems from the fact that now the souls of Israel have already been, been brought down um, into believing that the world is a necessary reality. And the whole world was created only for Israel, as is known. And Jews, this is obviously a complicated asterisk, okay, fine. Um, and Jews are the rulers of the world. So what happened? God created the souls of Israel. And then that kind of obligated God in creating a world for those souls then to live on. Because those souls were so important that that kind of like forced God's hand almost into creating the world. So, and that means that it kind of like, or that, that makes it seem 
like um, the world is a necessary reality, but actually only God is a necessary reality. God chose to create the souls of Israel, but if the souls of Israel are going to exist, they have to exist in the world, and that makes the world appear as if it's a necessary reality, and that's how people make mistakes. Okay, I know you're like, what does this have to do with anything? But just hang with us, okay? Um, um, but remember, God did not have to create the souls of Israel, and that makes everything contingent. But when God wanted to put forth um, the souls of Israel, that made all, he's a little bit repetitive here, that, that meant that the whole world needed to be created. And so like once the souls of Israel existed, then the world became then the world became like necessary, um, not contingent. Um, he's just repeating himself. But this is how the heretics got to their mistakes because it seems like um, everything that, that, that really God could have not created any of this and God could have not created the Jews and then wouldn't have needed to create the world. But it, but it makes it seem like there are pieces of the world which are necessary because of this whole um, puzzle. Okay. The reason why God created Israel is so that Israel would do God's will. And they would go back and they would attach to their own roots, which is God, which is, right, what are their roots? Their roots are God. God is the only necessary reality. God is the creator of all. Um, so therefore, what comes out of this is that when Jews do God's commandment and God's will, they become like deeply enveloped in their source, which is God, who is the only non-contingent thing that exists. Um, and therefore, they become like connected and an extension of things that are non-contingent. Um, and they, they become connected to their tahlit, to their purpose, which is what the world was even created for, because the whole world was created in order, because the Israel had been created and Israel was created so that they would do the will of God. So you have God needing someone to do their will, which then makes God create Israel, which then makes God create the whole world, which then leads some people to mistakenly think that um, the world is not contingent, that the world is necessary. But actually, the only thing that's necessary is God, and everything else is just an outcome there. When the Jewish people do God's will, then the world actually gets encompassed by this element of necessary reality. So when Jews do Metzod or they cleave to God, the, everything about the world starts to make sense and, and be kind of fulfilling. So all of a sudden, a lot depends on Jews doing God's will, because God is the only necessary reality. Everything else is contingent on that. And the reason why all of these contingent things were created was so that the Jewish people could do God's will, which means that when the Jewish people do God's will, 
everything starts to feel more and more connected, closer to God, to really encompassed in that necessary reality um, because it all kind of fits more tightly in to like the necessity that is um, that is God. Okay, so we're starting out real big here, <laughs> um, but, but we're going to get there. Um, okay. Here's where we get to, we're starting to get to the point, which is that the point is to be this like encompassed in the necessariness of God, in the oneness of God. And how do you get there? That is through tool that is through negation, um, transparency. It, once you make yourself transparent, you can complete completely, you can become encompassed in the oneness of God by self-nullification, by this process of tool. Here we get there. So the only way to attain this tool, which again, tool is not, I'm a nothing, it's not a, it's not really like a Navarda kind of, um, kind of musar. It's, tool is actually about connection. It's about roots. It's about your shorash in God and about your mission, which is doing God's will. And the more you focus on that mission, the more you're part of just the giant, like overarching oneness of God, um, which is in a certain sense, self-abnegation. Um, but, but again, like it's not in like a deprivation kind of self-abnegation. It's, uh, it's like making yourself part of something bigger, which is actually like adds to your own grandeur in a certain way. Um, it's, so it's to say like this, like, right? So I, I just want to like push back on the way we normally think about these words of like self-nullification or self-abnegation and like, it's it's not about um, it's not about making yourself small. It's about making yourself part of something much bigger than yourself. Um, and then that's what's making yourself big. Okay. So how do you get there? You get there through hipodidu. You get there through this process of um, of solitude. Ki because by being alone, and through speaking at length between yourself and God, that's how you nullify all of your desires, all of the bad aspects of your personality, until you've really negated all of your corporeality, and that's how you then connect to your roots. Okay, so that was all just by way, we've come really a long way, right? We have like a whole cosmology in order to get to heat bodidu. So that just tells you something about how important heat bodidu is. You can think of other Jewish texts that give a cosmology in order to get like an understanding of the whole universe in order to get to like one point. Um, the one that comes to mind for me is the pute about the avoda on Yom Kippur that starts out with Genesis and talks about the creation of everything from nothing and why was all of that worth it so that there could be atonement, right? That's the, that's the avoda of Yom Kippur makes that argument and Yerim Yachan is making that argument for Hippodidu because the point of Hippodidu is to become just like this closeness and connectedness to God, which is why the Jewish people were created, which is then why everything else that exists was created so that we could be um, close to the one non-contingent thing that exists, which is God, the God is the one necessary. Okay, so just to kind of lay out like how important this is to Rabbi Nachman when you think about the way this literature was just composed in comparison to like other things that kind of exist um, within within our library. Okay. Now he's going to turn a little bit more practical. That was maybe the like what he would do and now is the um, how he would do it, let's say. Um, okay. So again, we're still talking about that Mishnah we started out with, right? That was like one who is awake at night or who walks in solitude. Um, or who thinks, or who is a mevatel, right? That language, um, who thinks, who thinks about bitul uh, type things. So now we're starting to kind of see how this is all gonna be flipped towards the positive. 
Um, that is who he, that person is that was the, the original language of the Mishnah. Okay. Um, so here he goes. So Ahikari the, the main time for for this practice of solitude is at night. When, when people are free of the preoccupations of our world. Because during the day, everyone's pursuing things that are this worldly. And while you're pursuing the stuff of this world, you get confused. And, and it's, it's hard to spend that time really sticking to, sticking to and becoming encompassed by God. But feeling and maybe you personally, you're actually doing okay. You're not so distracted by it. But because the world is distracted by it, during the day, the world is distracted and they're in this in this state of pursuit. Um, they're, they're about and they're pursuing all of the the vanities of this world, you might be so calm and so relaxed, but everyone around you is running around pursuing things of this world. And let's be real that that's going to have an effect on you, says Rabbi Nachman. And that's why at night is the better time when nobody, like even the people around you, they're actually not not pursuing those things at night either. Obviously, uh, we all know work plenty at night, but imagine a time before electricity. So Yibodidut should also take place in a special place. What is that special place? It should be away from the city, on a secluded road, in a place that's not frequented by people. So the places where uh, people go during the day and where they're pursuing this world, even though right now they're not in those places, a place that's even like built for such pursuits, that too can really confuse your practice of hibudidut. And, and you're, you're not able to attain this bitul and be encompassed by God in a place like that. Um, you have to go by yourself at night, alone, to a place where there's no other people, and there, that's where you'll go, and you'll sit in solitude, and you'll open up, your, or you'll turn, your, you'll empty, you'll empty, right, that's better than opening up, you'll empty your heart and your mind from all of their, their worldly things, and you'll nullify everything until you really achieve this aspect of the tool. So again, the point of Hibodidut, or the, the aim of Hibodidut is to achieve the tool, at which point you have made space then to be encompassed by God. So the tool and encompassing, by, like negation of self and encompassing by God are the same thing. It's like when you, um, it's like when you exhale, you've now made space for the inhale, like all in this kind of one motion. Um, that um, that when you when you push out something else, you've opened up this space that then can be filled anew. And what does it automatically get filled by? It automatically kind of once you've done this work of bitul, it'll sort of like necessarily, almost like mechanically, get filled in get filled in by God if you've really done the work of bitul. Okay, so how do you do it? I knew. So at the beginning, when you do this, when you go to your secluded place alone at night, you'll be really chatty. You'll pray, you'll talk a lot. Until you can kind of move past that and nullify that instinct. Right? When, you, when you can move past that desire to speak in that way. And then you'll, you'll do even more of this of this exact kind, alone at night, all that. Until you move past another desire that you have. 
Ad Shivatamakul. And, and just one by one, you'll, you'll do you go to do for a really long time. And one by one, all of your desires, things you want to do, ways that you feel awkward about yourself, maybe, all of those will become nullified. But Acharkach, Adayin Misha'arim Manu Ezidavar, and then there'll still be one other thing. And Acharkach, Mivadim Ganza, and you'll nullify that too. Ad Shalomish Arami Manu Klum, until there is nothing left. Birush Kiachuli Yodachar should be tell. But the thing is, you could actually negate all your physical desires, but and you'll have nothing left in, but you'll be filled up with your nothing, which means you'll be so proud of yourself for having done your ritual. You'll say, oh, I'm full of nothing. Look at me and all my nothing. And that too is bad. Um, and um, so if you feel really proud of yourself that you've achieved nothing, then you haven't truly achieved nothing. You have to get to the level of, of ma, of, of what, <laughs> almost. That's like a hard, hard to translate in this context. And that'll be, then you'll truly have merited bitul. So when you've achieved this true bitul and your soul will be wrapped up in its origins, which is obviously God, because he is the only necessary part of existence. So be totally connected to God. You'll realize and understand deeply that everything's connected to God, um, that everything in the, that exists in the world was made by God. And now we're going to understand how it all fits in so nicely to the Mishnah, which we started out with. So here we go. Someone is awake at night. This is as, as the words say. You're awake at night and you're alone and you're just speaking to God. Which, by the way, I should have said this before, but even that is something that we don't normally do. <laughs> um, and the ability to just kind of open up, talk to God. Uh, for, for Rabbi Nachman, I think we'll see this inside at some point today. But for Rabbi Nachman, this idea that you'll just, you'll just talk to God, um, that's like a really, like the goal is to just talk to God like a friend. Like God is your friend, you talk to God, you like experience in a certain way, God talking back, that's the dream. Um, okay. Um, so, and then when the Mishnah says, uh, he says, yeah, that's also like what we had said. Right, a place you'll be alone, be, there won't be other people walking there. And that's really like the heart of the Hikotitude. Okay, good. That's how you achieve Bitual. Right, we started out saying that sounds really bad. It sounds like you've turned your heart to, um, to, to like to you know to, to negative things or to silly things or something like that. And he says no. Mifanali bolavatala is you have made room in your heart for an allification. The heinush mifanali you cleaned out space in your heart from all of the things of this world. Kadela is a cult if he not be tool because you're striving for this element of nullification. Ma'az zochasha yuchlama shogu mechuyava mechanitziyut. And then you'll, um, you'll, your soul will merit to be tied up in the God who is the mechuyava mechanitziyut, the necessary reality. Um, and ba'azai mechalim kol alamot im nafshogu mechuyava mechanitziyut. And actually, you'll bring along all the worlds through your work of retool and from making, opening up space and leaving that space for God to come in um, and making that space more and more, that's when um, you will have cleaved to God and you'll have brought and you'll be closer to that necessary existence and you'll have brought everything in that necessary existence with you. 
Okay, so now what is this Hariza Mikhayib bin Afshaw, right? Because that sounded really bad, Mikhayib bin Afshaw. So how do you understand that? The entire world is encompassed together in this aspect of necessary reality with your soul. Right? So through your you achieve nullification, which then meant that your soul could be wrapped up with the with the necessary reality, which is God. And, and you brought the whole world with you. And then you become, you made so much space for God that you've connected with God, that you've achieved, you, you've partaken in this necessary reality that is God and now is you as God has expanded through your bitul and ha, closer and closer connection to you. And that is the Mi'chayiv Minafsho. That is the Mi'chayiv with his own reality. Okay. Um, so here he's just going to like explain. I just want to round this out. He's going to explain. He's just going to say a little bit more about this. Vadashi Karabitul Shadam Mevatel Yeshutov Vanessa Ayin. A person negates his corporeality, he becomes connected to nothingness. And becomes through that process becomes connected to God. Um, and the only way to do that in that the only way to do that is through the Buddha do. And just to um, you know recap some of the things that we've said, the only way to do that is by having a specific time and a specific place and where other monim, other other sources of movement are not going to be bothering him and other things that are, are kind of almost like the opposite of this project, which are people going about their daily business and people being filled up with achieving their desires in this world um, and things like that. Those won't, um, those won't be around enough. So you have to create the right environment for that. Um, and when you have, when you have succeeded in that and you become you become surrounded by the oneness of God, that you become essentially part of the oneness of God. Um, and that is when you have left Azai, here, just finishing this last sentence here, Azai, that's when you who started out contingent are now you've made yourself necessary. That, right? So now it all connects from where we started to where we are. You started out. It's very important. You have to know that you're contingent, that God created you. You don't necessarily exist. The world doesn't necessarily exist. All of that is heresy. But you, through the tools of Hippodidu, can make yourself necessary through Hippodidu by becoming Michlal ben Michlal, by eliminating all of this kind of like gashmias and taiva, right? All of the, the like materiality of this world, all the desires of this world can make space for God, cleave to God, become part of God almost. And that will make you no longer contingent, but included in the necessity of being included in God. Um, and that's how you are that you made your soul part of God. You've made your soul Part of the chiyuv, you've made your soul part of the the necessary. That is chiyuv ben Ashel is you have turned your soul from contingent to necessary. That's the harizam chiyuv ben Ashel. So first of all, it's like it just this like most amazing sounding read of the Mishnah. Uh, I'm gonna pause for a second. I saw there was some activity in the chat. Um, okay, we have a joke from Navar. Oh, look who thinks he's nothing. Yes, exactly. Okay, great. Um, hi, are you saying something? You are on mute. Are you talking to me? I want you to be talking to me. Should I ask you? To hi. Me? Sorry, I was just saying, I thought I was unmuted. I was just saying that I didn't see, I was typing it and then I pressed enter and then I realized someone had already written it. So sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, why? Don't be sorry. That's awesome. Yeah, we were all thinking the same thing. Look who thinks he's so definitely, we not want to like address that kind of like head on here exactly. Um, 
Okay, so I think, you know, and we're gonna, we're gonna see some other texts about Hebrew, but uh, we just spent, you know, the, the majority of our time on this one, but I think, you know, with good reason, because really what he's doing here is explaining not just the, the kind of how-to, which obviously is interesting, but really the why and like, what is the purpose of this? Um, and the purpose of it is almost to like, like the end goal is to make ourselves, but through ourselves, everything that was created for ourselves, i.e. all of the world and other people and all of that to make everything no longer contingent, but necessary. Right now, the only thing that is necessary is God, but the more space we can open up within ourselves for God, the more necessary we can make ourselves, um, which obviously is really important if we think existence is good. Um, yeah, Johannes, please. It kind of reminds me the Midrash that said that the whole world was contingent until Matan Torah, until Shavuos, Yom Hashishi, that sixth day of Sivan, because otherwise the world would have no purpose without Torah. Totally. Yeah, um, yes, definitely. You know, that's um, that's a continuation of the Gemara and Shabbat. That's the famous Kafalem Har Kagigi that God held over the held over the mountain, um, like, a, like a, I don't know, whatever, like a roof, um, and, uh, and threaten them, like, if you don't accept the Torah, I'll destroy you here. And then I think it's Rich Lakishler who says, yeah, that's the hey in Hashishi is the, is the contingency built into creation that if you don't accept the Torah, then this is it. This, then the sixth day will be your end. Exactly, exactly what, what you're going to say. Um, Deborah, I saw you had a hand before. Yeah, so, so he, he, of course, is turning the the shot of the Mishnah on its head completely, but also, and at the same time, um, he, he's saying, um, he's, he's turning sort of turning around or completely uh, reinterpreting the view of the Apicorsim that, um, you know, that the, you know, that, that the, the creation is this, the world is necessary and tell, and, of course, the world is contingent on God, so the Apikorsim don't have God in that in that whole, um, you know, in that their whole equation. But he inserts God at the center of things as the source of everything, and then through these through this mystical practice, you know, gets gets to this uh, sort of the same place, not the same place really, but gets to sort of like, this is the goal is to make it that way. Not, I love that. You know, exactly. And the Apocorsum are misled by that to conclude that there's no God. But we, by, by centering God, centering everything on God and trying to come as close as possible to, you know, cleave unto God, although it doesn't use that, that language, but in our in our attempt to cleave to God, to experience God in this mystical way through Hitbo Dedut and Bitul, that's that's we arrive at sort of that same that same place, but com, you know, completely in a completely different uh, way. With one is without and one is with God. It's the same yeah. world. And I think the other flip that he does is the flip of this language of bitul, right? So in the Mishnah, being like, and, and we all I mean all over a bit of It's bitul Torah. It's a waste. Yeah. Right, exactly. Waste. And he says, no, exactly. That nullification is good. It's important. It's godly. Emptying ourselves. Like normally we sit, right? We talk about all other other times we talk about emptiness. You can think of like a chilul Hashem or something like that, right? And he's saying, like you can imagine him saying, yes, like chilul Hashem. You make the chilul and then Hashem comes in. Like that's almost like, um, <laughs> that's almost like what's happening here, which is so, um, so different from, from some, from the way we use this language other times and certainly the way um, I meant it in the Mishnah. Um, but, um, but, it, but it, it, right, it, it is this kind of amazing, amazing flip. And, 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 and I, one of the reasons why I love these flips is that, like one of the, the, the challenges that I'm, I'm raising up as an opportunity is to say, you know, how can we, how can we, like, how can we take an experience that for so many of us for the last many, many months has been very, very hard in a way that 
um, and 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 offer and offer a flip to it almost offer a way to say you know if we if we choose to we can take even the most like negative words that we associate with it and even imbue those with spiritual purpose and meaning um, or even to take the experiences that we've um, these experiences that we've had of loneliness of solitude and say well okay what is it like with the end in sight, I'm going to try and really like dive into it as a potential really good. Like that's, that's what, and then I think he's really, you know, until now, every single time that we've seen aloneness, we've seen them be like a real, like a loss to it or a danger to it. Um, you know, we saw the person who studies Torah by himself, he becomes an idiot, he's sinning. Um, the leper obviously is a clear example of it, but even, even with the Kohanim, you know, it's like what they're doing is, is dangerous and, um, and all of that, like there's, there's some real kind of like negatives to it in, in a certain sense, even, even like Elijah or Shungar Yuchai, like it's not this unambiguous good. And for Rabbi Nachman, it actually really is an unambiguous good. It's like, yeah, there's really nothing better than this. Um, we're seeing, I see a chat. Okay. Someone watching on Facebook. If the world can be transformed into the necessary, then the world in a sense can become God. This sounds like Kabbalah, which claims you can join with the Godhead and become one with um, God. Yes, totally. That is, um, yes, Mr. Orbach. Or I don't actually, I'm not going to assume your gender. Um, the, um, yes, definitely. And, and obviously, and the whole Hasidic tradition are deeply influenced by Kabbalah. Um, I mean, what, what we see is that Rabinachman writes in this like very accessible or like seemingly accessible language. Like you don't see so many words here that you've never like seen before, but they kind of take on like new meaning. So he doesn't use some of this like super technical, complicated, Kabbalistic language that you see in other places, even within the like Hasidic corpus. Um, but he, but it is certainly kind of lying. Um, okay, let me just think, cause we have, oh, we have only eight minutes here. Um, and I do want to kind of wrap up at the end. Okay, so here he's talking about how to how to kind of write. So at the beginning, he, he said this in the last one, at the beginning, when you're talking to God, you're just gonna like discourse. You're just gonna go at night to your quiet place by yourself where people aren't busy around you, and you're gonna you're gonna just talk. So here he's saying, how do you talk? You should talk in the vernacular. So he says, talk in, they translate it here in one's native tongue, but that, I mean, it's real schon Ashkenaz, right? It's in, in, in your native tongue, which is German, um, but, but um, or whatever, you know, it's his native tongue, but Ukrainian, Polish, Yiddish, whatever it is, but, but it, right, that, that also this practice of just talking to God, again, as I mentioned, like the way, um, the way that you would talk to a friend because that's the idea and 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 what's also the other purpose of it by the way is you should do you should do frequently and like really with a lot of regular regularity as often as possible um you should have a set time for it every single day and it, that will mean that the rest of the day you'll you can be happy. That actually like setting this time aside will open up like paths to to happiness the rest of the day. Um, and then he says, well, what if you can't think of anything to say? Okay, all very practical. Um, everyone can do it. You should do this. Um, you know, old people should do this. Young people should do this. Um, people of big souls and people of small souls. Um, and he says, so in this is Sihodoran, we talked about that. Um, and uh, so, so far we've talked also about like, oh, you should do it at these very specific times. Um, but here, and here he's saying you should do it in specific places. So if you can't, in the continuation of this is where, I didn't bring it for you, but that, this is where he says, if you can't find a good place for it, open up a seafarer and no one will bother you. That's here, he says, ideally you should have a separate room or as we saw before, like your, your own kind of place that you go to at night. Um, okay. Um, and, and this, this um, too here is where he talks about how um, if you can do it all day long, that's what you should do, right? And he, he ties it into So right, so we might say, okay, we don't imagine he put it for one hour a day when, um, 
and the rest of the day I'm social and I'm with people and I'm doing stuff like fine that makes a lot of sense but what like we've been all <laughs> for months and months and months how can we possibly imagine a positive of that and really though um Rabbi Nachman says sure so no she yanu kolayom kulo he bodedu um, he says, the best would be if we could do this all day, if we could just spend all day by ourselves trying to really strip ourselves down through this process of mutual, um, via conversation with God. The best thing would be if we could do this all day long, but most people can't actually do this. And therefore, they have to have is that, you know, okay, therefore, you have to have is that sha'ah, that's good too. But really, what you wish is is um, is all the time. And if you want to actually achieve that state that we put forward, that full cleaving to God, Dvikus, um, that we discussed in that first section, if you really want to achieve that, and right that, okay, doing it one hour a day, that's told my own. But if you want to really, in truth, achieve it, Ritono, um, Cheyalo, Kol Hayom, Hibodidu. You need all day to be Hibodidu. That's really the, um, that's really the, the dream. Um, and, 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 and how much, meaning how, how far should you go? You're looking for, he says, you're looking for here, this is again part two. You're looking for shlemut that the ad shia samuch maot shetitzei mishmato chas v'shalom ad shekima yidva chas v'shalom ashol tahad mishmato kshura begufon ki im kichut hasaara meotem taaro v'gagu oh kisufol l'shami barach. Your desire to cleave to God should help you transcend your body so much that you've like left your body behind that you're basically like that your soul is like almost out of your body as if you're like you know like not alive anymore out the means like god forbid like damage yourself or or or, or kill yourself right or anything like that the thing he's saying is like that experience should be like a soul out of body experience and a soul out of body experience like what's another word for a soul out of body experience another word for that is death so i think that's like the language he has to use for it um but that's not actually you know that's not actually what he's pushing for um and um but but he but again he, he quotes from Tani, right into the Tosha Adam Nishma Elin Kain Nisina Show Bakapo. You have to be ready to kind of put put your life in your hands if you want your truest fila, which is your voted to be heard. Um and um and and oh and here this is what I've been telling you about, but here we'll see it inside. But look, Shashani Brah Uzerbi voted you, and when God helps a person with that, he voted you, as I voted you. Then the hibodudut is like a conversation between friends. And I think what this, what Rinachan means by this is not just the level of conversation, but also the level of like hardship involved in it. So like with the same pleasure that you would talk to your friend, right at the beginning of this, of this little Torah, he was saying, you know, it says, if you're going to die, like that sounds really hard. And you say, no, no, it's not, you know, like once you've achieved it, once God helps you with it, then it's like, you're talking to friends both at the level of that's how you talk to God and that's the relationship you have with God, but also um, that, that, it, that the pain is, is less there because you kind of got, the pain was in this yearning, but when the yearning then is fulfilled, um, that's, that's obviously um, the pleasure. Okay, we're gonna stop here. Um, you're very welcome to peruse the rest of this. There's a, I brought a lot here that we didn't get a chance all to look at together, um, but, um, I do just want to thank you for kind of coming on this quarantine theme journey with me. <laughs> um, I, I certainly have um, felt like these texts have helped me to kind of articulate different experiences that I've had or that I've seen other people have over the course of this past year. Um, and I do think that sometimes, you know, sometimes seeing our pain and hardship reflected in our ancient traditional texts, there's something very healing about that potentially. To say we're not new, this isn't new, we're not alone, we can, um, you know, we can feel connected even in the kind of loneliness and solitude of this. Um, and, 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 and then, and then, so that was kind of the last three weeks. 
And then this week was sort of like, yeah, and there's even a great potential, um, really this like transcendent potential almost in solitude. And um, if we can find it within ourselves to do the level of work that he recommends, then maybe there's a way to really take advantage of this last little piece of this time um, and, and use the opportunity where we're not still maybe all going to shawl and we're still maybe more at home to actually say, yes, there's a different kind of conversation that can be had with God in this less busy world of ours and maybe an option to lean into it um, going forward. So thank you again so much for coming. I'm happy to stick around, but I want to bless you all um, with a beautiful Shavuos. Um, beautiful rest of your Omar and um, and, and and you know for, for however much longer this lasts I hope that I hope that there's connectedness um, and meaning and, and Torah that has spoken to you in some way.